Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. Welcome back. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving with your family, some good food. We smoked a turkey this year, and it turned out really well. We had some ham. Um, I love the sweet potato casserole with the the brown sugar, and oh, I, that should that could be on the dessert table for me. But it's during the regular meal, which I love. And then my mom makes awesome carrot cakes, so that, those are some of my favorites around uh, Thanksgiving. And then we have a lot of those same things around Christmas time. But anyway, so I hope you had a great Thanksgiving with your family today. We're going to talk about day five of creation, and so so far I've sort of laid a general groundwork. I do believe that. The, the creation days are literal 24-hour days, and I think it's very clear in Scripture. We have on the first day, you know, there was evening and morning the first day, evening and morning the second day, those types of things. Anyway, um, but there's also a, a little bit of a pattern here with God separating things early on in the creation week and then filling those same areas uh, later on in creation week. So, for instance, he separates light from dark. On day one, on day four, we have the creation of the sun, moon, and stars, the sun or the the greater light to rule the day, the moon, the lesser light to rule the night, those types of things. Um, in day two, you have he, he separates the waters above from the waters below by way of making the firmament. And then today, he's going to fill those waters with sea creatures, and he's going to fill the, the firmament, the expanse, with birds of the air and, and basically all flying things. So uh, so that's what we'll talk about today. And then he also separates the earth or the dry land from the seas. And then he's in day six, he creates land animals and man. So that's coming up. Anyway, so that's the uh, just to, to remind you of the general frame of uh, that I'm talking about these things. So now what is interesting to me is, you know, as I was studying day five is what are these great sea creatures? Um, That's an interesting study. So we'll get into that more. And also what does it mean to be blessed? And so this is the first time in the Bible, of course, we're in Genesis one, but the first time in creation that we have this and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply that, that sort of thing. So what does it mean to be blessed as far as the uh, biblically, what does that mean? So that's what we'll look at today. Now, anytime you have questions for me or just want to reach out and say hello, you can email me bearchristianity at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram at the real bear martin and on Twitter at bear for Christos. Now, for a bear in the woods, a random thing uh, about life, random comments here. It's Christmas time, and so we are decorating the house for Christmas and setting up the tree and hanging, you know, the the pictures that we put up at Christmas time, stuff like that, which are pretty much all my favorite things and I'm I'm being sarcastic there but one thing that I do love I don't like the the setup now I, I like having the Christmas trees and the decorations and stuff I like once it's up I just don't like getting it out of the attic and putting it up and all that stuff but one thing that I just love is syncing up the lights and things like that around the house, like the lights on the Christmas tree, so that I never have to touch them. And I do this using Alexa Home. And so the um, if you have an Alexa Dot or whatever there, whatever all the different ones are, you can you can get these plugs that go on the wall, and you you know each one is different. There's lots of off-brand ones that you can get at a discounted price, but. 
Uh, basically, all of them have a different setup, but once you set them up to your Wi-Fi and link them to your Alexa Home app on your phone, you can create these groups and then you can you can sync them up to come on at certain times of day and go off. So I basically never touch our Christmas lights. I also have this going year round. So I get up pretty early in the morning. And so I have a plug for the lamp downstairs and some of the patio lights that we have. I just have it set up where they come on a few hours before sunrise. And then at sunset, they, they come on like 15 minutes before sunset, that sort of thing. So I never have to touch lights. I, I just, you know, walk upstairs and go to bed at night and they, they turn off and they come back on in the morning. So that's really cool. I just love setting that stuff up. And so it can be quite annoying like any sort of technology. But once you get it right, it is so satisfying just <laughs> to like be sitting there around 5 o'clock in the afternoon now because we have to follow this daylight savings junk but anyway around five o'clock in the afternoon and it um and then those lights the patio lights just come on automatically never have to touch them i love it anyway i hope you do too and if you hadn't thought about that before it's it's not easy but you can do it it just you have to go in it with the right frame of mind because because it's technology sometimes things work we just got some plugs that should work and they don't work and so i I have no clue why but uh anyway have fun with that Okay, day five of creation is found in Genesis 1, verses 20 through 23. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. Now, uh, just a few things that I want to bring up here. The, the, main, the, uh, the, the main part of this podcast will be on what does it mean to be blessed. But I just want to go over a few of these words because I, I learned a few things as I was studying these, uh, this passage here. Birds here is actually a, a more general word. It's the Hebrew word of. And in, and one definition in a I have a few different um, Hebrew lexicons and one just says everything that flies okay so any anything that flies it's used in the Bible in Leviticus to talk about winged insects um, birds clean and unclean in, you know anything that flies large and small so this is when God created anything that flies and and so the 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 English translation I use the ESV says birds, but really it could be all flying creatures. Now, uh, the next part I want to talk about are these great sea creatures. So it says, and God created the great sea creatures and ever living creature that moves with which the waters swarm. So uh, here the Hebrew word used is tanin, tanin. And so there's a, there's a whole, I mean, there's probably been books written on this word, I guess, um, so there's some some tie-ins. It's not the exact word, but there's some words from other cultures that are similar to this um, chaos monster, you know, mythological god. And so there's there's lots of tie-ins there that people will try to make. Um, I'm not convinced by that, but just you know, it's it, there's tons of stuff you can read on this. So I just want to make you aware of that. But this word tanin, the reason that it's, um, I think, discussed so much is because it's interpreted in a lot of different ways. So in in the ESV Bible, this word tanin, 
is interpreted serpent sometimes, dragon, monster, sea creature, um, and then not not Tanin, but related to it would be Leviathan, which is some sort of sea monster, uh, dinosaurish type thing, and then Rahab, same same thing, some sort of mysterious sea creature, and it also has um, Rahab in other cultures has been like it's like a some mythological creature of the sea. So anyway, Leviathan and Rahab are sort of linked in with Tanin in the in the Bible. There's there's similar language used of of all of those. So. Um, um, so just just for instance, let me just give you an example of why this gets confusing to me. I'm not I don't have any Hebrew education, and so um, so in trying to look up these words and definitions and lexicons and all this stuff, it it just all starts mixing together. And so let me give you an example in Exodus four. This is when Moses is, has um, spoken to God in the burning bush, and Moses is like, "How can I know that you know that this is true? How can I know that you sent me?" God says, "I am who I am." Um, anyway, right after that, God says, "I'll give you a sign." You know what? What is that you're holding in your hand? And Moses says, "This is my staff." God says, "Throw it on the ground," and it turns into a serpent. And then God says, "You know, grab it by the tail." which I think shows that uh, Moses was more courageous than I would be because <laughs> when it comes to snakes, uh, that's, that's, that would take a lot for me just to do that. But anyway, Moses grabs it by the tail and then it turns back into his staff, his rod. Okay, now in Exodus 4, that word there in the Hebrew is not tanin, it is nahash, nahash. And that is the, that's the, the Hebrew word for snake. And so it, it's translated in the ESV, serpent. Now, in Exodus 7, just three chapters later, in Exodus 7, Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh in Egypt. You let my people go. Pharaoh says no. And then Aaron throws his rod down, and it turns into, well, in the ESV, it's translated serpent. It turns into a serpent, and then Pharaoh has some, some um, magicians or advisors, however you want to translate that, and they, they throw their rods down. They kind of do the same trick, but then Moses's serpent eats theirs, okay? Now, what's interesting here is in Exodus 4, when Moses throws his rod down, it turns into a nahash, a snake. But in Exodus 7, when Aaron throws his rod down, it turns into a tanin, which which could be interpreted dragon. In fact, in the Greek Septuagint, that word there is dracon, which is where we get dragon from. And so there's all kinds of, I mean, like the, the um, translation of these words sometimes is just, I can't find any specific pattern as to what dictates how it's translated. Anyway, so that that's just an, an example of why this topic can get a little bit messy, in my opinion. Um, so again, it's sometimes trans, tanin is translated serpent, dragon, monster, sea creature, um, and then it's also sort of associated with Leviathan and Rahab. Now, what is clear throughout all of Scripture is that serpents, sea monsters, dragons, um, the, those types of things are uh, symbolically portrayed as enemies against God, and God is the one who conquers them. So in Isaiah 27.1, it says, In that day the Lord, with his hard and great and strong sword, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Okay, and that word is nahash, the word for snake. The fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent. Again, Nahash for serpent there. And he will slay the dragon, but in the Hebrew, that is Tanin, that is in the sea. 
So here we have a mix of, we have Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent. Serpent there is Nahash for snake, but then right after that, and he will slay the dragon, the Tanin, that is in the sea. So that's how what I'm talking about. These, these words are sort of all um, mixed together. And here we have prophecy in sort of a uh, poetic form. And so sometimes the, the um, like I talked about before, parallelism is big in Hebrew poetry. And so we, you're saying the same thing in some different ways. Um, here's, a, here's another example. This is concerning Rahab. So again, Rahab is apparently a mysterious and powerful sea creature of some kind, and the Bible symbolizes Egypt as Rahab in a few instances. So uh, now, FYI, Rahab is also the name of the prostitute in Jericho who helped hide the spies. And she basically united herself with the God of Israel and says, I, you know, I'm with you people. He, she tells the spies, like, I want to be on your side. And so she hides the spies and, and, and says, remember me when y'all come and, and conquer this city. And so the, the, she is saved from that. And, she, and interestingly enough, she actually becomes, she, she marries an Israelite and she actually becomes part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. So you can see this in Matthew 1, 5, where Rahab is listed there. So awesome story of redemption there, where she's a prostitute in a pagan city, unites herself with Yahweh, the God of Israel, and becomes part of the line of Jesus. So awesome stuff. Um, anyway, but her name is Rahab. Now, I, I tried to look this up, and I couldn't find, at least with all the resources I have, I could not find... Uh, anything about maybe why her name, if if that name Rahab was linked to Rahab that I'm gonna getting ready to mention in the verses, this mysterious, powerful sea creature, um, maybe she was named this after this dragon in some sort of um, you know pagan culture of Jericho. Uh, maybe she had a dragon tattoo. Who knows? So anyway, I just want to address Rahab. So that is the name of the prostitute who helped the spies in Jericho. But also Rahab is mentioned to talk about this powerful sea creature, and it, and Egypt is symbolized as a Rahab. So in Isaiah 30, verse 7, it says, Egypt's help is worthless and empty. Therefore, I have called her Rahab who sits still. So Egypt is is powerful yet just sitting there. Their their help is worthless and empty. Now, also listen for this. This is this is gonna this is a symbolic way of talking about God parting the Red Sea when the Israelites walk through after they've come out of Egypt. So Isaiah 51, 9 and 10. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord, awake as in days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces? So Rahab is divided there. Again, this mighty sea creature is cut in in pieces, is divided. Who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? So here we have um, the the power of the Red Sea, and the people have just come out of Egypt, and God has divided Rahab, the, the sea, and let the people pass on dry land. So that's just some of, the, some of the symbolic ways that this is talked about in the Bible. Now, I think one of the key important things to recognize in Genesis 1, when we talk about Tanin and these great sea creatures and things like that, symbolically they are portrayed in other ways throughout the rest of the Bible, but that does not mean that they were 
evil or um, mysterious or, or some sort of chaos monster in Genesis 1. And at the end of Genesis 1.21, it says, and God saw that it was good. This is right after creating these great sea creatures, these tanin. So God created ex nihilo, that is from nothing. I've already talked about that in a different episode. And his creation, he judged his creation as being good. So what's so important is this tanin is different from mythological origin tales where you have these cosmic battles of good and evil, these these gods that are represented as different monsters or whatever, battling each other for power. Uh, Tanin is not some evil force or chaos monster which God had to subdue and somehow conquer in order to create in Genesis 1. Rather, God is the one who created them for his good pleasure and saw or judged that his creation was good. Now, the last thing I want to talk about is, as far as day five of creation is this, uh, this idea of being blessed. So again, this is the first time that, the, the, that God is going to bless his creation. And so twice in Genesis 1, but, but three times in, in Genesis, so Genesis 1.22, Genesis 1.28, and Genesis 9.1. 9.1 right after Noah gets off the ark. And so it, it's going to say this, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth or, you know, fill the waters when he's talking about these sea creatures. And so he's going to, he's, God blesses them and, and uses the, the two words, be fruitful and multiply and fill. And so that, that three times is mentioned in, in early on in Genesis here. Now, here's what, let me, let me go ahead and give you what I think it means biblically to be blessed and then I'm going to give you some some verses, a lot of verses actually, that I think help to support that idea. And I first heard this when I was going through a free, like uh, you could you could take this college course on Genesis through Dallas Theological Seminary. You you sign up online and they send you videos. And so it was like an older course. But this guy, this uh, professor, and I wish I knew his name, but it it may still be free. On um, Dallas DTS is the abbreviation for it, Dallas Theological Seminary. But they they have all these free courses you can take, and it's by college uh, or seminary professors. Anyway, so he's the first one that sort of worked in this idea of what it means to be blessed, and I do I do find it consistent with Scripture. And so um, here, so here, let me tell you what I think, and then we'll go through some verses. So to be blessed in the Bible means that you have a certain fullness of life. Uh, sometimes blessed is translated happy in English, and there certainly can be problems with that. But but think about people who say they are happy. They are usually doing something which makes them feel complete. They they have a fullness of life, and so they they feel as if they've ha- they've found their purpose in life in some way. So a father is happy when his family's needs are provided for, uh, his children are content, you know, his children are are happy in, you know, in the home and content, and his wife is satisfied in him. And so that that brings a father uh, happiness and blessing. A mother may say that she is happy when her family sits down to a big meal that she's prepared and is, and one, the kids are all, you know, loving the food. That, that's, that's something that doesn't happen a lot. Um, it's, you know, my wife can, can just make an awesome meal and the kids will just, you know, they want McDonald's or, you know, uh, just add water, mac and cheese or something like that. But a mother may say she's happy when her you know she's she's put the effort into making this nice meal for her family for providing for her family in that way and it's just a great 
time does you know when you when you sit down the kids are enjoying the meal they're thankful and you're sharing that time as a family there's a there's a fullness of life there there's blessing there there's a happiness there because that mother feels as if she is doing what God has created her to do and she's providing for her family in that way kids are happy when they accomplish things and make their parents proud they they are happy when they feel loved by their their parents, and so they 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 find um, they find worth, and certainly we could go into a whole tangent about kids who come from broken homes or or have poor relationships with their father or mother. There's there's damage there. There's there's not blessing in those situations, and so I think um, in, in in a way. Um, being blessed and God blessing things is a a fullness of life. And when you when you live in that, when you're doing the things that God has created you to do, then that is where you find true happiness. So in every case, it's a sense of fulfillment. When you are when you are blessed, when you feel blessed, you feel that there's fulfillment there, a fullness of life. When you feel you are valuable and you are achieving your purpose in life, that is when you are blessed. That is when you are going to be most happy. Now, obviously, people will mistake their purpose in life and and uh, and think that some things will make them happy. And what we find in this world and in this temporary life is that those things only bring temporary happiness, temporary uh, blessing, if you will. But true complete blessing comes from God alone. Blessing from God to man is to give this fullness of life. Now, with that in mind, let's go through some different verses. Uh, another really common verse with, with the word bless comes from Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. This is God talking to Abraham, and, and God says, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, Paul interprets this verse for us in Galatians 3, 7 through 9. He says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So this blessing here to Abraham is a is a fullness of life. God blesses him and and Abraham has many descendants and God makes, you know, God is going to bless all the nations through Jesus Christ who's going to come from the line of Abraham. So in Abraham all the nations will be blessed. We will have fullness of life. Because of sin, we are not blessed, we are cursed, but it is through Jesus Christ that, again, this fullness of life can be restored to us. We can have blessing through Jesus Christ. Now, another common blessing in the Old Testament is is the blessing that Aaron, the priest, gave to the nation of Israel, and the Lord told Aaron to bless them in this way. And and so it's found in Numbers 6, 24 through 26. And you, and you may hear pastors give this blessing over their congregations at the conclusion of a, a worship service. So it's, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, 
there were blessings for Israel, certainly. And, and these blessings, there's a few common things that were found in the blessings of Israel in the Old Testament. And so two basic ones would be good crops. So there would be, there would be rain, there would be you know, plenty of crops to grow, there, there's, there's plenty of food. And also, another blessing would be children. And so, let me give you an example of this. In Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 4, it says, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field." Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. And so here towards the end, we have, you're going to be blessed in the, the fruit of your womb. You're, the, the women will be bearing children. The, the ground will be blessed. It will be producing fruit. And even your livestock will be blessed and the herds will increase because they will be fruitful. They'll be reproducing. Now, Compare that. That's that's Deuteronomy twenty-eight, one through four. Now, just a little bit further down, you have it, it continues with the blessings of God, and then if you get further down, Deuteronomy twenty-eight, fifteen through eighteen, it's going to talk about the curses of God, and it's very, very similar language, similar patterns, except you have the reversal in the curses. So, for the blessings of Israel, you're going to have good crops, and and of course the livestock and everything as well, and then also children. When Israel is cursed for sin, there is famine on the land, and also they are barren. They're not the, the the livestock as well as the women are not bearing children. So Deuteronomy twenty eight fifteen through eighteen again, just a few verses down from where we have the blessings listed out, says this. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all His commandments and His statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall you be in your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your of your flock. So complete, you know, absolutely opposites there in Deuteronomy 28 of the blessings and the, the curses. Now, I've mentioned this plenty of times before, but in, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, that's called the Septuagint, one thing that, that helps us out is that we can look at how certain words in the Old Testament are translated into Greek, from Hebrew to Greek, and then we can look at the New Testament Greek word, and a lot of times it, it helps us make certain connections. And so in the Beatitudes, this is in the New Testament, it's written in Greek, this is in Matthew 5, I'm getting ready to read it to you. The New Testament's written in Greek, but it's the, the same Greek word that's used for blessing here is what they used in the Old Testament Greek translation. So we can make those connections here. Matthew 5, 2 through 12 are known as the Beatitudes. And this is Jesus teaching, this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It says this, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, so so what it means to be blessed, certainly there is blessing as you follow the commandments of the Lord. And to be blessed biblically means that there is a fullness of life. There is a a, a happiness, a joy that supersedes the, the world that we live in, the temporary situations that we're in, and it and it leads to a greater blessing, a, a an eternal blessing. And so so that's that's what I believe it means to be blessed biblically. In Psalm 32, David says, "Blessed is the man who the Lord does not count his sin against him, who who does the, the blessed is the man who the Lord does not impute his sin to him." And so this is the idea of God being gracious and merciful to a sinner. And so that there is a fullness of life when we are forgiven of sin. Now, there's also language in the Bible. So so I've talked about all this blessing is when God is blessing us. But there's also language in the Bible where we will say, like, bless the Lord. Now, what does it mean when we bless God? Certainly, God does not need our blessing in order for him to have a fullness of life. Uh, God is self-existent. He needs nothing or no one. And so he is the source from which everything else has its existence. So when we bless God we are not conferring on him a fullness of life. Rather, when we bless God, we are acknowledging that he is the one who is the source of all our blessing. So Psalm 103.1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Psalm 1, 1 and 2, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. See, the only way to be truly blessed is to align yourself with God's word to acknowledge that God is the one that is is the one who blesses. And so we we must align ourselves with what God says in order to have blessing. And scripture is a blessing to us because in scripture scripture is God breathed, theonoustos. Scripture is God's revelation of himself to us. Scripture reveals the only way that we can be blessed, and it reveals we our greatest need and the only way for that need to be met. It reveals that we are sinners and that we need a Savior. Sin brings curses. A Savior brings blessing. So faith in the perfect work of Jesus Christ in his life and the atoning blood shed in his death on the cross is the only way you will have eternal blessing, eternal fulfillment, an eternal fullness of life, an eternal happiness is when you realize that you were created to glorify God and you will only have that fullness of life when you're doing that. We were created to worship. Just think about this. Think about a stadium filled with people before a, a, a concert, a music concert. And so, you know, I've been at these events and they they build up 
the you know the tension builds up and there's this this massive moment where the singer the one there that everybody's there to worship the 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 singer co- finally comes onto the stage and we you know yell and scream and clap and cheer that is worship there is a there is a joy in that situation there's a happiness in that situation there's there's community that all of that is happening as we worship and and um, you may not think it, but that's kind of what we're doing. Um, we're worshiping this this person or this band, uh, whatever. Same thing with like a football team. There's this buildup. You got the smoke machine and the the little video that plays on the jumbotron that that gets everybody pumped up, and then the team comes running out of the tunnel, and we we praise them, we worship them, we're we're screaming and and yelling and cheering for the for the team, and so that is worship. There's something deep within us and look at look across you know sports in all you know in all countries there is a there's there's worship going on um in in lots of different ways through in in all countries we it's something deep within us that wants to worship something that's what we were made to do and so we will have this eternal blessing only when we we do what we were made to do and that is glorify God to worship God and, and all believers will do this in Revelation 5, 11 through 14. It says this, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. 